salutations what up dudes you're listening to the sainted path with me your pal Sadai the great what's the story morning glory what's the word hummingbird oh look at that you get oasis you get bye bye birdie after all this is a show about diversity and connecting the unlikeliest of dots isn't that fun i'll tell you what is not fun my friends what is not fun is the gross way I felt all day today. Do you ever wake up some days and uh, I'm going to ask this and someone's going to go, ugh, no, but do you ever wake up and feel as though your head is firmly buried up your butt? Because I tell you what, that was how I started my day. That is how I progressed through my day. And uh, it took a lot of effort, but we didn't end there and we're not there now. So 
let's start at the beginning, shall we? Here's where we're at today on this sainted path. I uh, couldn't really tell you why I felt like such a butthead today. I just that I did from the moment I opened my eyes and dragged myself out to my car. See, that's actually inaccurate. There was no dragging. I, I, I got up. I did it. I lived my life. And I kept trying to tell myself, like, cheer up, buttercup. It's fine. I don't know why you feel this way, but let's not feel this way. It's good. It's great. It's fine. It's wonderful. It's going to be great. It's good. It's great. Right? Well, note to self, in future, maybe I should take the car ride to feel like garbage and like a butthead so that I don't have to spend the rest of the day chanting, it's good, it's great, it's fine to myself, you know? So that I don't have to have quite as many mood swings before lunch. But uh, here's an interesting thought that I had today, and I don't know where it came from, but it sort of shaped the day. Uh, a while back, I work at a bookstore. If you didn't know, now you know. A while back, I encountered two strangers at the bookstore encountering each other in a really profound way. I thought it was profound. I was profoundly moved at the time. These two people had never interacted before. This was my understanding of this interaction. They had never met each other. They had very little in common. But I was standing about 10 feet away from these people and I heard them have a conversation about life and about their lives and about their burdens and the crosses that they were bearing. And I don't remember the particulars, but it was heavy stuff, you know? It was, it was the real heavy stuff. The stuff having to do with your family and with mortality and with money and with stress and deadlines and a lack of self-worth. I mean, just life. And it was raw and it was sad. And these two people were sitting in the middle of the bookstore for like 15 minutes. For 15 minutes, they just, they weren't, they put down any expectations that anyone else might have had on their time or of them. And they just talked to each other. And from what I remember, it was very much like, oh, wild. <laughs> Yeah, that's heavy. I felt that too. You know, and, and, and I don't think that their experiences overlapped. I don't think that they were talking about similar situations, but it was just commiseration, man. You know, they, it, it was empathy. I feel that. I feel you. I'm sorry for you. And then the most remarkable thing I thought was that these two strangers in the middle of the bookstore bowed their heads together and said a prayer. And you could tell, I mean, one of these people is, you know, an elderly Christian lady and the, the other person was not, just, just wasn't. And I'm not going to make any assumptions about what they might be or what they might believe, but like, you just got the vibe that this was, she was offering this and the other person was accepting it. And it was really something. It was really something to see two human beings recognize each other's humanity and then go about their merry way. And um, I don't know why I thought of that this morning, but I thought of it. And I tried to pull something out of it. You know, I, I tried to, to figure out, like, how does that relate to what I'm feeling right now? And, and maybe, like, is there a story in this that I need to tell 
or that I need to hear or nothing. I had nothing. I had no connection for that dot. So I went about my morning. Later, I was looking for a document and I found a diary entry dated a year and a day ago. And that's kind of, you know, it was a novelty because I stopped keeping a diary maybe like two years ago, it just slowly petered out. And so at this point in August of 2017, there were no other diary entries to speak of. There was no other documentation or stream of conscious thought of how I was feeling or what was happening in my life. And I found this and I read it and I had written about this encounter with these people and how profoundly upset I was and how lonely I was. And I remember, I don't remember, I read all about how I was just so blown that, you know, all of my messages of love at that point were being misconstrued. And there was just so much miscommunication in what felt like every corner of my life. And it was such a hot, soggy mess. And then in the midst of it, here are these two people making themselves completely vulnerable and open and sharing their hurt with each other. And I just felt, I was 10 feet away from them when it happened and I felt like I was on another planet, on another astral plane even, and it wasn't a good one, it wasn't fun. I read the diary entry and I thought, wild, I can't believe that happened, you know, today, last year. And then that was it. <laughs> I, I tried to, take stock of how I felt. Do I still feel that kind of profound loneliness? You know, degrees of it, echoes of it, sure. Once you've felt something, does it ever, just because you're not actively feeling it, does it ever leave you? Do you know what I mean? I don't know. It does if you express it, maybe. But a lot of these things tend to go unexpressed. And then they're just kind of, it's just there. It collects dust, but it doesn't go anywhere. Energy doesn't dissipate. You can't created or destroy it you have to channel it somewhere right so i'm giving all of that some thought and i look to my right and who do i see but this dude that i thought about and then read my thoughts about and there he is and i didn't even care <laughs> honestly it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't magic it wasn't exciting it wasn't a burst of Oh, geez, look at the synchronicities. I wasn't excited by it. It was just like, wow, it's really that guy, huh? And then I thought, ew. I thought, wow, it's actually that guy. Ew. Because apparently, what I hadn't forgotten, what I did write down, was that this guy was kind of a douche. And the thing is, I work in customer service. I work in retail. Like, there's... You don't even need to explain it. You know what I'm saying? Like sometimes you meet a human being and they just suck because you are in a position of service and they are entitled because this is America and capitalism is king. And that's just how it works. And I think that that was very much the situation. I think this guy probably just gave off some gross vibes. Ew. That's what I remembered. Ew. That's what I said when I saw him to myself. Ew. And that's pretty gross. That is so rank. I mean, I'm a grown adult. And I thought about another human being. And I just... I didn't think very much of them. And that's cool. 
you don't have to, but yeah. So that gave me pause. I kind of, uh, it didn't, I mean, it, okay. I like, I totally flinched maybe and then kept going. I didn't pause completely, but I just, I wondered, you know, is that some kind of gross, awful double standard? Is that, is it wrong to preach one thing and then something else? Yes, it is. So if I'm preaching love and compassion and, you know, equality for all, rah, 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 then you can't look at another human being and go, ew, you can't do that. <laughs> you just don't do that. So I had to wrestle with it. And I did. I wrestled with it. And it made me think, you know, about other people and about, I mean, when I say I wrestled with it, this is a complete stranger, okay? This is a complete and total stranger, and I thought about it for more than a little bit. And then I got to thinking about people who take up more space in your life, and the people who take up more headspace, and the people that you have to interact with more, and actually talk to, and work with, and get to know. What happens when you know someone who's just awful? It's just vile. Because let's face it, humanity, some of us seriously suck. Like, them's the facts of life. Some of us are out here, and we suck, and we are unapologetic about it, and we are not too pressed, and we're not going to do anything about it. That's it. The end. But see, even those people are people. So I have a coworker. And they are almost, almost unanimously, like just, just across the board, disliked. This is not a fun person. This person is openly rude to everyone, including customers. This person is prejudiced. This person is awkward and it's there's something about being terrible and being an awkward person that just makes it worse you know like it's bad enough to be abrasive and to be rude and to be a bigot but then when you're just really really awkward on top of that and you don't interact the way that with other people the way that they interact and when you're just a little bit off kilter there's just something about it that makes it a little bit harder to tolerate that makes me, whatever, dude, that makes me human. That's a fact. <laughs> it's, some people are just hard to deal with. And everyone hates this particular coworker. Like, I mean, hates them, hates them, hates them, hates them. It is pronounced. It is talked about. It is passed around the office. Hates them. And that does not sit well with me. And I'm not saying that I have anything for this person. But aside from having been the subject of people's just vile, you know, I mean, people will talk about anything as long as it's interesting and then they'll move on to the next thing. And at one point I was a thing that was talked about in a really gross way and probably not for very long. And, you know, probably with the same degree of vitriol as this person. Like, it's just the way that it is. It's just a thing that we do. We kind of just crap on someone because they deserve it sometimes. Sometimes they don't. 
you know, when I was being talked about, it was all salacious gossip. It was very silly, but it still sucked monkey butts. It was still uncomfortable. It was palpable. You can tell. You walk into a room and everyone stops talking and you make eye contact with someone and they turn tomato red and, you know, you can tell when people don't like you. It's not a secret. And so I think about this coworker a lot because they are really, really not well liked. And I get it. They're neurotic and extra and kind of hard to deal with. I get it. I get it. I'm not excusing any of it. I'm not making light of anyone's racism. That's pretty serious. But, you know, I am friends with a lot of moms. I say a lot of moms. I'm friends with some moms. A mom or two. (laughs) But anyway, moms have all of the best tea. And they will tell you what is up. And so a friend of mine who is a mother, this is relevant because this person knew my coworker's mother. And they knew my coworker when they were at school. And so they were aware of what was going on in this person's life. And they shared some things with me. And what they shared humbled me. A lot. A lot, a lot. A lot. I mean, I just sat here and told you that it really doesn't sit well with me. That we're being mean to someone and that we hate them. But also, I made some jokes. I said some things. You know... As you do, you make observations. I'm, this person's an alien, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that this coworker is actually not from Earth. Um, and so, whatever, I've, I've thrown a comment or two into the ring. And then I was humbled because they're a person. They're a human person with a human life that sometimes sucks monkey butts. Because that's how it goes. You live, and life chews you up, and then you have to deal with it. And I'm not saying that, uh, you know, that makes it any better, or that you get to be racist just because life has been hard to you. You don't. You have to be, you have to hold yourself accountable. Life is hard, but the sun still rises, and you have to deal And you have to remember that you live in the world with 8 billion other people and a whole heap of other living things. You know, we're not in this alone, dudes. I'm going to keep telling you that from now until forever. We are not in this alone. We are not islands. And here's this person who just sucks by all accounts. You know, and I don't want to be the one to always be like, well, guys, try and be nice. So I just don't say anything at all. You just err on the side of caution, and if you don't have anything nice to say, then you don't say anything. But way, 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 way more importantly, I don't let this person's malarkey bother me because I have been humbled. And I had to stop and recognize, oh, that is a hurting person. Now, I'm going to tell, tell it like it is. I don't, the, the things that happen to this person unreal like that is kind of intense I'm not going to share this with you it's not my business it's not anyone else's business but like whoa I don't know what that's like I know what some other things are like I do not know what it's like to live the way that this person has lived so again I can't relate 
letter for letter, dot for dot. But I can empathize and I can relate how it feels to hurt and how it feels to be at work and to feel awkward and uncomfortable and sad and ostracized. And you know, it sucks to be lonely. It just sucks. So when I see this person having any kind of interaction now, I look at their face and not the faces of whoever they're interacting with. And I can see that they are uncomfortable. And I'm not going to project and try and pretend like I know what my coworker is thinking or feeling because I just don't. I don't know this person. And I'm not going to get to know this person because did you hear the part where they're racist? But like, you can tell. You know, vibes don't lie. I might not know what's going on in their head, but I can tell what they are radiating. I can feel it. I am sharing space with them. They are uncomfortable to some degree. I don't think that any of it is meant maliciously. I think that they are struggling. I think that just like I got up on the wrong side of the couch today with my head firmly up my butt and I tried so hard to... to stand up straight and to put a smile on and to, you know, put all that good juju and that love out there. Whatever. It was hard work. I wasn't really feeling it. I was trying my best. And also I had a job to do. And also I had other things to think about. I mean, I was living, you know, just like this coworker is living. And all I'm saying is that you have to think about these things. I have to think about these things. I have to. Because I'm trying to undo some of my own... Well, is that what I... Yeah, I guess that's accurate. I've got a lot of things to atone for, but that's not necessarily it. It's like this, right? Uh, our good pal Mark, I don't know if you guys have heard of him. He, um, he wrote this book once that I stumbled across. I think this was one of the first, one of the first things that I came to know about Mark was Hobo Safe Camp because the Cliff's Notes version is that I found this tarot reader on Instagram and I got a tarot reading and then I saw that he had written some things and so I bought the things and I read them. And this guy's got a book called Hobo Stew for the Wandering Soul and it's very good and I would recommend it. And what I would do for a really long time, or for as long as I've worked at this bookstore at least, and as long as I've had it, is I would just open it. And uh, in fact, that was what I was doing today. I was looking for a document and I opened Hobo Stew and I flipped to a random page, some casual bibliomancy, uh, and I check out whatever's going on and, and figure out how it applies to my life. And so today, I kid you not, I just scrolled and where we landed was here. The world is so full of negative energy, and it's up to those of us who have already awakened to add extra light and love into the atmosphere to balance things out. And you believe this too, don't you? In fact, you believe this to a fault. You need to understand, though, that you can't change the world on your own. We're going to have to do this together if we're going to pull consciousness back from the brink. It's possible to put so much positive energy out there that you completely deplete yourself. And what good is an energy depleted you to the movement? 
I'm not saying put out negative vibes, but sometimes it's okay, especially when you're tired, to silence the good vibes and just exist in calm serenity. So I attempted from that point on to exist in calm serenity through my day to try and deal with the fact that I felt like a butthead. And the time passed and more things happened. And one of the cool things that happened today was uh, I bought a book. I bought a book that I'm so super excited about. It uh, is called, what is it called? It's called Alone and Palely Loitering. Um, it's a book of Kevin, Kevin. It's a book of Kevin Cummins' photography of Morrissey. Pictures that he's taken of Morrissey between the years of, I think, like 1982 to 1994. And um, I was so excited. My very, very dear friend just came up and left the book behind me and walked away and I turned around and there was my old pal. I was so happy. <laughs> it was this brief shining moment because it was new. I did not recognize this book. I have never seen Alone and Palely Loitering because it's new. And when was the last time we got new content from Maj that didn't suck? Because I'll be honest with you, uh, what is that last album called? Bored in high school, low in high school, that just came out this year is terrible, and I haven't even listened to it the whole way through. And honestly, World Peace is None of Your Business, the album that came out a few years before, also could not recommend. Not really the best of times. His autobiography that he wrote, better not spoken of. Um, List of the Lost, the novel that he published around the same time, like the, like 2015, maybe? 14, 15, 16? Whatever. It wasn't good. So, so here's a book about Morrissey, at least to a degree, which has nothing to do or no words coming out of Morrissey's actual mouth, which is a good thing lately. And I was really excited. I was just excited. It was nice. And it made me realize that the time has come to wax philosophically about my everything He's not my everything anymore. I'm not going to call him my hero either because that is way, way, way too much. But you guys, it's time. Here's the tea on Morrissey. Buckle up. We're going to talk about it. This is the episode that most people I know are not going to be very keen on because for a really long time in my youth, I was not even allowed to play Morrissey or the Smiths aloud in the vicinity of anyone's hearing we're over it. I beat this horse to death. Nobody has the patience for the Pope of Mope. But for those of you that don't know, we're going to talk about it. So here's this guy. He was born, I don't know when he was born. I want to say Manchester's wayward son is about 59 years old. I'm pretty sure he was born on the 22nd of May. And I'm not looking any of this up. And I don't even care if it's inaccurate. The fact that I remember so much about this man is absurd to me. That was the thing that struck me as I was flipping through this book of photography today was, wow, that's from when, you know, he was doing the Kill Uncle tour and he played in Japan. And that was from when the Smiths played at this arena in this place. And that was a picture from whatever. And oh, look, it's him with Tim Booth from when James opened for them, for the Smiths in whatever year. There is so much Smiths and Morrissey trivia still rattling around in this brain of mine. I was actually impressed with myself. <laughs> um, 
If you don't know, the Smiths were a band formed in 1982. They broke up in 1987. Between then, they created some of the most iconic popular music, English popular music, meaning music in English as opposed to British um, or being from England. Um, ever. I'm going to go ahead and call it now. Ever in our modern times. Uh, the thing about the Smiths is that they came onto the scene and they were totally unassuming. Their band name is just anonymous. What are, what are, who are the Smiths? What's a Smith? What are, you mean the most common name in all of England? Smith? Those, who's, who's that? Who are they? Right? That's totally forgettable. And that was their whole thing is they took all of the conceit of popular music. And at that time, I mean, in 1982, you got to think MTV is here. It's happening. It's on the scene. Everything is different. Everything's bold and brash and vibrant and neon. And you've got friggin' Duran Duran, you know, taking up the airwaves and everything is glammed to the nines. Punk is so thoroughly dead. It's a good time. <laughs> it was a good time. Um, if you're into that sort of thing. And a lot of people were not necessarily into all of those things. But then here come the Smiths. And the Smiths were unassuming and very average. They were four working class lads from Manchester, uh, originally of Irish descent. So I think each of them had, you know, working class Irish immigrant parents or grandparents. And it was very much that thing where sometimes some of us experience certain levels of disparity in our, and especially in England where social class is a big deal, there's a socioeconomic disparity and it's an ugly hard world. And so what do you do? Well, you make art about it. And that's what the Smiths did. That's what Morrissey did. That's what Johnny Marr and Mike Joyce and Andy Rourke together achieved. They achieved such cool, cool work. And here's why it was so cool. You've got bands like Duran Duran who are writing like nonsense pop ballads and, and, and dance hits and things. And that's all very fine and well. And then you have a band like the Smiths where Morrissey is this waifish, effeminate, man with hair who, like Elvis who's wearing women's blouses and he's got whole bouquets of daffodils in his back pocket and he's soft-spoken and he has kind of a lisp and he's thoroughly enamored with you know girl glam bands of the 60s and with Oscar Wilde and that's just not what you get with rock and roll that's not what you get with punk that's not what you get with with I mean you get a little of that of the theatrics in, in, with post-punk, but then the Smiths just did it differently, you know? They just, they were just doing them, and it was controversial, and it was dope as heck, and uh, I remember when I was in high school, a guy called Len Brown, who's a music journalist, wrote a book called Meetings with Morrissey about our pal, Moz. I will never forget. He said something. He said in his book, um, I even went and looked this up because I really, I'll just never forget this. So in his book, Meetings with Morrissey, Len Brown has to say, 
It's all about time and place, isn't it? Rarely in life will music alter or affect you in a dramatic way. Maybe it was like watching Elvis live in 1956 or the Beatles at the Cavern or the Stones at the Crawdaddy. In a flash, mentally and visually, music becomes important. As if, as the cliche goes, what's happened before is in black and white in your memory. And then suddenly it's all color. Not the MTV contrived storyboarded version, but the raw in the flesh moment where the art form truly begins to make sense. Suddenly you see the point and believe what you're hearing as if it has some magical power to change you. For that moment onwards, you feel you're part of something different, something original. It gives you hope. And Morrissey was the light that never went out. You know, that was, I don't know, it's cool because I am, I was not born in the 80s. I was born long, 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 long after the Smiths had broken up and in the, in the early days of Morrissey's solo career. So it's not like I was listening to the guy out of the womb, but I grew up with the internet, which means that I have access to, to basically everything, which is fantastic, which means that I had the ability to have everything musically, almost everything, so much, you know, and it only, that net only grows wider and wider, or in theory, it grows wider and wider. I don't know, with music streaming and sharing is another conversation for another day, but the, the fact is that of everything that I could have stumbled across in the known universe, and of everything that I had ever stumbled across before, I mean, I was so lucky to have grown up musically inclined and to have grown up with the internet and to have had access to so much and, you know, so many different genres and ideas and languages and so much art, so much good art. But I tell you what, this is no exaggeration. I was 14 years old. Maybe that's a lie. I was about 13 or 14 the first time I heard the Smiths. And I remember calling my then best friend on the phone and making a declaration. Excuse me. Hello. The Beatles were my then favorite band. And when I say favorite band, I mean, like, I was wildly devoted, okay? Like, I was obsessed. I loved the Beatles. And I called her, and this was a big deal. And I said, the Beatles have been replaced. And it was such a big deal, and she was such a friend at the time that she gasped, and she was shocked. She said, what do you mean? Because seriously, as a you know, 12 and 13 year old girl, like the Beatles were life. And I said, they're not my favorite band anymore. I have a new favorite band. She couldn't believe it. And then I told her my new favorite band is the Smiths. And I don't think she knew who that was, but that's neither here nor there. And it really, it just went from there. It just went from there where suddenly everything was black or suddenly everything was in color where before it was black and white, you know? And it wasn't even that it was like, I honestly forgot about this until today. I've had so much time to think about Morrissey and the Smiths since I got home today and since I got this book. I really, I've been holding everything else in my life to this standard, to the standard that has been set by this band and by this man's art. Um, and really by this man, I learned a lot from Morrissey. I adopted a lot of what I learned from watching this man and listening to this man. And I made it myself and I made myself, I shaped myself around this music and around these ideas. 
And um, ever since I've been holding myself, I've been holding everything else to this standard of like, oh, well, you know, that's good and it's moving and it's special, but it's, I don't, I don't know. I don't feel, I don't feel that thing. Not realizing that that thing, that unnameable, magical, beautiful thing that you can feel sometimes is kind of a rarity. You know, you don't, you don't get a lot of those. And I think that's why it's so important. Morrissey is in the news a lot, not a lot, but more than, you know, you would think he would be because he's kind of washed up. But also that's not really fair. Cause like I said, he revolution, or I, maybe I didn't say this and we'll get to it, but this man revolutionized British popular music. And, um, the thing about Morrissey is that he's a total racist. Like he's a monster. He's a trash bag. But he kind of always has been also like that wasn't okay. I can't say always, I don't know him, but he certainly, he has certainly always been a controversial figure. And like I said earlier, I can recognize the beauty in something and recognize what a gift it is in this universe and also acknowledge that it sucks. And that's the tea about Morrissey is he kind of sucks, but I get really frustrated when people talk about this or when you read news articles about him because it's not the whole picture. If you don't understand the impact, if you don't understand, if you've never heard him say anything else and you've only ever heard him call Chinese people a subspecies, then yeah, I fully expect you to hate him. Like I, I want you to, <laughs> because if you can hear that somebody, if you can hear somebody say something like that and not take offense, then we're probably not fully on the same team. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's there's no two ways about it. That's wrong. You can't say things like that. But we're going to unpack this. We're going to get into this. So myths. let's go backwards. Let's start with the Smiths because it's really, really fundamental, okay? It's important that you understand. The Smiths wrote songs that were sardonic, and sarcastic, and witty, and fantastic. I mean, there's a there's a song called uh, Sweet and Tender Hooligan, and it's this very, like, punk-inspired, upbeat, kind of, you know, like, quick-tempo thing that you can dance to, but also it's really bleak and dark and heavy, and there's a lyric, there are actually, I'm just gonna tell you right now, uh, one of the verses in the song goes, Poor old man, or poor woman, one of those two, uh, strangled in her very own bed as she read. But that's okay, because she was old and she would have died anyway. And another lyric in the song goes, um, Poor old man, he had an accident with a three-bar fire, but that's okay, because he wasn't very happy anyway. And then later the song goes, it's called Sweet and Tender Hooligan, right? And it's about this sweet and tender hooligan who is clearly a murderous psychopath. Um, but then Morrissey goes, jury, you've heard every word, but before you decide, would you look into those mother me eyes? And he tells you, he's a sweet and tender hooligan. Uh, how does it go? He's a sweet and tender <laughs> Oh my God, I haven't actually had a conversation with anyone about the Smiths ever, probably. When I say that no one will indulge this madness, I mean no one. Um, 
he swore that he'll never do it again. That's how it goes. He swore that he'll never do it again. And of course he won't. Oh, not until the next time. Now, if that is not biting social commentary, I don't know what is. And then the best part is not only is this song in your face about like, whoa, that's gruesome. It's also hilarious. And then it gets theatrical and just so over the top. And he goes on to sing in the midst of life we are in death etc and then continues to wail etc 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 and that's just just who does that who does that morrissey does that the smiths do that there's a i'm not even going to quote any more smith lyrics at you because you don't care and you shouldn't care i guess if you didn't know and it didn't come to you and you weren't affected by this music then it's just you're never going to be and that's fine and I can live with that I can live with the fact that I'm probably just going to be obsessively devoted see that's the thing actually I can't be obsessively devoted anymore but there's a conversation about separating the art from the artist that is really messy and complicated and I'm not ready to get into that conversation I want to focus on the idea of your message being misconstrued because I think that it's really important to understand that when Morrissey is in the news now, and when we hear things about, uh, there was a, I think it was a Guardian article. Um, in the Guardian, they wrote about, what did he say? This down. In the Guardian, this was probably, this was April of 2018, and the headline reads, Morrissey denounces halal meat as evil and attacks May, as in Theresa May and some other, uh, some other cabinet ministers, etc., etc. The article goes on, Ex-Smith's frontman claims halal slaughter requires certification that can only be given by supporters of ISIS. So, no. That's, we're not even gonna touch that one. Your Muslim pal is not even going to talk about this. I am going to keep going, though. In this article, he, uh, so he criticized Theresa May, who's the Prime Minister of, of the United Kingdom, um, for calling the Muslim Eid al-Adha. I don't know if you guys know what Eid is, but as your Muslim pal, we're going to talk about that at some point, too. Um, long story short, it's our Christmas. We get two of them. And for Eid al-Adha, it is traditional to offer, I hate the word sacrifice, but essentially to take livestock and to give thanks, to slaughter that livestock and to share it with your friends and your neighbors and your community and your family uh, as a sign of wealth and prosperity because we're celebrating a pilgrimage. Um, so that's the Cliff's Notes. So he criticized Theresa May because she called Aid al-Adha a joyous celebration and um, he had a problem with that because, as he says, millions of animals had their throats slit to mark the occasion, and he wondered what kind of compassion Theresa May could possibly have. I want you to focus on that for like a second. I want you to hyper-focus on the idea that this man believes Theresa May to be a monster because how, in Morrissey's mind, how could you, how, how could you say that these are good, decent people, and how could you wish them, what was it, how could you wish them a joyous celebration when they're slaughtering innocent life? You really have to understand the difference between those of us who eat meat and Morrissey.
And I'm not even going to lump other vegetarians in because I want you to know that there's like a stark contrast. Like this dude is, when I say hardcore, I mean, I can't call him militant because he's like the softest butthole in the world. But like, this guy is on another level, okay? The reason that he called the Chinese a subspecies that one time, and I don't have any references to back this up with other than I read it a zillion years ago and how do you forget something like that? Um, it had to do with... with uh, tiger poaching or hunting or whatever it was and tigers are or at least bengal tigers are an endangered species and if you're hunting an endangered species into extinction well what does that say about you as a person and again i'm not defending this man ever i will never ever ever act like it's okay to be openly prejudiced against anyone else but is that not a valid point you share this planet with other living things. And in his mind, animals are kinder and gentler than human beings. They don't have voices. They need to be defended and stood up for. And furthermore, when has Morrissey not been an asshole is the thing. The thing about this Guardian article and about all of the articles that are written about him, here are some things that I remember hearing in recent years. He, uh, he said that Jamie Oliver, who's uh, a celebrity chef, um, and is very, very big in the UK. Uh, Jamie Oliver should cook his own children or something to that effect. I mean, it was something really gruesome about, you know, the slaughter and preparation of children. Um, because this guy's a TV chef and he cooks meat and fish. And again, this is a person, Morrissey is a person who fundamentally believes that these living creatures are worth just as much as the rest of us. And it is a really normalized part of our culture. And just because something is normal, I'm not trying to play devil's advocate here, but just because something is normalized and just because a lot of us do it doesn't necessarily make it a good thing. I eat meat and I don't think that it's inherently evil, but also I'm really mindful of what I consume and where it comes from. And like, there's a lot that goes into it is all I'm saying. There's nuance to everything and nothing is as black and white as we like to believe it is as much as I would like to believe it is, frankly, I would like to believe that everything is black and white because ultimately shades of gray, they make up black and white or they're made of black and white. They're made up of black and white. But when you're in the thick of it and you're living, it's really not that easy, is it? It's just not. And it shouldn't be. We shouldn't be so lazy. Um, again, not to ever justify anyone's racism, but there's more. Or maybe you guys have had enough of Morrissey. Like, let me keep it real. It's just important to remember. It doesn't matter that he's, you know, one of the most prolific lyricists in the English language in modern times. It doesn't matter that the Smiths are my favorite band. Ultimately, if you're a douchebag, you are a douchebag. But, you know... There was, let's bring it back to a real world example. Let me, let me stop talking to you about Morrissey because I feel like someone will have tapped out by now, which is a damn crying shame. But anyway, <laughs> there's a, I, I, there's going back to this whole thing about your messages being misconstrued. You know, uh, I, I think about it a lot, especially because I live it a lot. I have a hard time communicating. Verbal communication is skill that I am learning to build 
it's easy enough to talk and it's easy enough to listen, but it's not necessarily easy to communicate what you're feeling or what you're thinking and what you need to be said. And um, I think a lot about how I say things or I, I'll feel something and I'll, and I'll think like, oh yeah, that, that, that person gets it. I just shared this with that person and, and they get it. And then I'll, I'll learn sometimes. And it's horrific to think about all the times that I don't recognize what's actually going on. But sometimes you recognize like, oh, as it turns out, no, you were not understood because everyone is operating from their own private reality. Okay. Everyone is coming to you with their own perspective. Anything that you see and think and feel, you are filtering through your own perception. You are your own unique, magical wonderland. And you're just kind of shouting out into the void like the rest of us. And we're trying to do it in a common language and in a common way. And we try and be as like palatable and approachable as possible so that we can be understood. Because ultimately, everybody wants to be understood, right? My super hateful coworker, I'm not going to give, I mean, she doesn't, when I'm talking about Morrissey and I say like, oh yeah, but he's made some great art and he's really important to me. That's not, that's not the point. It doesn't justify all of the rest of it. It doesn't justify the bigotry and the hatred. I mean, this guy wrote a song called Margaret on the guillotine, on the guillotine about uh, Margaret Thatcher. Because remember, this is, I guess that came out, that was on Viva Hate, which came out in 1991. I'm making that up. But anyway, uh, this is after Margaret Thatcher has wreaked havoc on the modern world and has done her part and has had her fair share of war crimes attributed to her. And this song goes, the kind people have a wonderful dream. Margaret on the guillotine. Because people like you make me feel so old inside. When will you die? And it's a very morose ballad. And it's friggin' hilarious. And it's beautiful. And I love it. But, like, that's hardcore. You can't just go around saying things like that. You can't just go, when will you die? You know? I, you can. He did. He did it. But, like, <clears throat> there are other ways of doing that. And, uh, I had... I have another coworker. This is kind of out of left field a little bit, but I have another coworker who she was, well, I just, yeah. Okay. They were once quoted in a conversation about Michael B. Jordan, who um, played Killmonger in black Panther and is in the new televised version of Fahrenheit 451. Um, it's totally in vogue right now. He's a really attractive human being. He's a really attractive black man. And that's relevant. Uh, here's a pro tip, by the way. Ding, 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 lightning round. I want you guys to know, if you didn't already know, that when you're telling a story, and you're telling a story about people, my calling Michael B. Jordan a black man is relevant because the story has to do with his blackness. Whereas, sometimes, we tell stories and we'll say, oh yeah, so this Asian guy walked into a bar but his being an Asian guy doesn't actually have anything to do with anything that comes out of your mouth after that. And that, my friends, is casual racism. And it's a problem because it implies 
his being Asian is a defining thing. It's, it, it makes him different than you. He is not like me. He is an Asian man, but it's not relevant to anything. It's not grounded in anything. You just othered him to other him. Anyway, so <laughs> now you know. Uh, Michael, G, Michael B. Jordan's a, like a really good looking dude, okay? And so I have this coworker who was once quoted as saying, yeah, he's not bad for a black person. And no, wrong, false, what is that, right? And then later this person comes back and goes, you know which POC I think is actually attractive? And it doesn't matter who they answered because we need to unpack a few things here. P-O-C. Okay. 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 I need, like, this happened pretty much like 12 million years ago. And I still think about it sometimes. Remember? Oh, my God. You can't just, you can't just do that. It's, you, who does that? Who, P-O-C, for those of you that don't know, person of color. Uh, do you know which person of color is actually attractive? They're not even a person. They're not even a person of color. They're a POC. Like, that's just the laziest, like, most flagrantly, like, hateful thing I've ever heard in my life. And the problem is that it was met with zero malice. I know this person, and this person's a lot nicer than a lot of my other racist coworkers, you know? Like, they're a genuinely kind, considerate, helpful person. They're really generous with their time. They're really loving I mean, they're awkward as butts, but like, I, what is it with butts being the theme of this episode, you guys? I'm sorry, we're there. It's been brought up in conversation so many times today. I can't escape it. So anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is that you, none of it balances out, okay? Like, it's not an even, like, one for one. You can't be kind and whatever. You can't be creative and amazing and prolific and racist and call it any kind of thing. It just, it all goes together. And it's not an even case of keeping score. It's not black and white. And that's why I don't keep score. And that ultimately is the moral of the story. So here's this stranger this morning that I remembered and who I thought about later. And I thought, ugh. And, you know, that's a judgment that I made. I just, I just wrote off this person for no real reason. I mean, like, yeah, okay, bad vibes, but also whatever, whatever. Like he wasn't being openly rude or hostile or anything. And I just didn't care enough to be kind. And I mean, I'll, I'll never forget when someone says something racist. Like I said, I think about POC all the time, but like it only exists in your head you recognize these things and then you filter them, right? And then you put them back out into the world. So if someone else does something that's grody or if they're giving out bad vibes or if they're friggin' racist or they vote a misogynist failed businessman into the lead office of the free world, I'm not gonna forget that. And I'm gonna make note so that I'm cautious and so that I establish where my boundaries are. But also... I'm not going to make any judgments. I'm going to try really hard not to. And that's really all I'm saying, you know, is that nobody needs to lose their head. Because I've spent most of my life being angry. I've spent most of my life eschewing 
racists and monsters and trash heaps and writing off the humanity of of people just full stop just you're completely trash the end and i'm not going to pretend like there aren't still a couple of people on my shit list like i'm not sorry i don't know how to make peace with hillary clinton and i'm not going to not anytime soon i like i draw the line at war criminals and i don't think that i need to explain that but <laughs> the point is that this time last year i was uh you know, I was hurting. I was hurting pretty badly, y'all. I was sad. I was really alone. And I was really hurt. And I was dealing with a lifetime of hurt. And I was trying to make peace with it. And it was a hard time. It was a really hard time. And today, I have love. I have so much of it. I have so much love in my life. I mean, my friend who I love so much came up and brought me this Morrissey book, you know, and that in and of itself was just so kind and so beautiful. And it, it changed the trajectory of my, of the rest of my day. And all I'm saying is that I want to earn that. I want to know that I'm always working for that love. Do you know, I, I want to make sure in my life that I'll never feel unworthy or undeserving of it. And it's not a case of atoning for my sins because again, it's not that black and white and it's not, it's not tit for tat. Like it just doesn't work that cleanly and that evenly. But I do really struggle with the way that it feels and how I carry it and how I then talk to myself and how I process it and internalize it. And I have to try, I have to try to be kind and to be mindful and to be non- judgmental and it's freaking hard but if I don't do it then what am I doing like I'm just not doing anything you know like it doesn't cost me any extra I can be an asshole and I can openly laugh when Morrissey some, says something stupid or tells someone to go cook their children because ultimately whatever it doesn't matter blah 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 but I do think that it matters and I don't want to put my energy there I want to put my energy elsewhere. I want to grow daisies and all of this bullshit is what I'm saying. So yeah, Morrissey's an asshole, but I've learned a lot from him. I'm going to behave differently. I'm aiming for a higher standard here. I want to speak truth to power. I want to connect people. I want, like him, to make people laugh and cry. And I want to feel again the world shift from black and white to, to beautiful, vivid technicolor. But I don't need to write a song like Bengalian platforms to do it, okay? So that's all I'm saying. Anyway, my dudes, that's it. That's all I got. That's where we're at today. And I thank you kindly for tuning in. And uh, in case, you know, I don't hear from you, and in case we never interact with each other, it's been cool. I hope we got something from each other. And in case you don't hear from me again, good afternoon, good evening, good night.
全是去全。